from our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Hey, welcome to Startups of the Week, Season 2. I'm Owen, and I'm here with Alex. Hello. This week, we remembered what clout meant when you spell it with a K. We saw Google spend money to get even cloudier, and we learned how to store your Bitcoin deep under the earth. Hello and welcome to Startups of the Week. I'm Chronicle Business Editor Owen Thomas, subbing in for Trisha Thadani, who's on assignment. And I'm here with Alex Wilhelm of Crunchbase News. Hello, hey. Alex. Hey, hey, it's good to be here. Good to have you back, I guess. Oh, well, happy to, happy to fill in. Uh, so, Alex, it's been a while since I've been here. How do we pick the startups? Yeah, so as always, for all you regular listeners out there, it works like this. We pick three companies each week, one from each different category. So the first one is a buzzing startup. We're looking for a company that hasn't raised too much money, mm-hmm. that's based here in the Bay Area, that hasn't raised money recently, hasn't been acquired, and it's also kind of trending on Crunchbase. And that means people are looking for it more, and that helps us kind of see who may be kind of the next mm-hmm. big deal. Next, we look for a, uh, a funding round. Mm-hmm. Usually a very interesting one. I'm trying to find the most interesting, larger round that we can find. And then finally, an acquisition. So which Bay Area tech company got purchased this week? And then, again, we filter kind of by interesting because there's always a couple of deals. And we pick the one that we find the most intriguing during that period. So three companies, and uh, here we are. Okay, well, why don't we start with the buzzing startup, Alex? Which I, one was it? <laughs> well, this is one that I've been excited to talk about because I feel like everyone who's on social media – uh, or at least was back in like the 2015-2016 era, had a history with it. It's a company called Clout. And that's Clout with a K. Clout right? with a K. And if you don't know what we're talking about, that means you have more of an IRL life than a social media life. But uh, Owen, for people who don't know, what was Clout's promise? Well, I, I remember when Clout launched and you know the, the entire premise was that online influence was going to take over the world and that you know <laughs> offline influence was not going to matter and because it was online we could measure it yes now the problem with this is that all it really did was measure how busy you were on social media which was not necessarily real influence now Justin Bieber did have the top cloud score for a long time it's true because he had a lot of twitter followers it's true. but my dog Ramona the Love Terrier, mm-hmm. also had a cloud score. Well, she did have some influence in the dog sphere, but this is why cloud became a bit risible, because it would tell you where you were influential. And it would give you a, a flat number, like, oh, and you're a 62. Mm-hmm. I'm a 54. Ramona's 35. Ramona's 35. It, it, but it meant nothing. But it, it had a bit of cultural prominence, because they had this genius way of getting people to care about it called cloud perks, if I recall correctly. And so right. they would work with... I don't know, Ford or someone else, and they would get uh, little perks based on people's specific social media kind of scores. And so people would get like, I got free coffee from Cloud because they wanted to talk to people that had a Cloud score of over 65 who drank coffee in Cincinnati. So it was, it was this thing that we all cared about probably too much because we had more time back then. And um, it's, uh, it's shutting down. Yeah, it was, so the company was actually acquired in... 2014. Yes. For do you remember how much money? It was something around like 200 million dollars, which was more money than I think it was worth in the end. Yes, I mean it. It is an open question. Uh, Lithium Technologies, another Bay Area startup, a uh, kind of social media marketing firm, mm. uh, bought them, and you know I think there were big hopes of making a consumer play around you know measuring how you know, how successful your social media was. 
didn't really pan out. No. And what's happening in the end is uh, they are shutting down Cloud on next Friday, May 25th. Now, that date is not random. Have, so yeah, you what, might have heard that date a lot in the news. So what, what, for people who don't obsessively track European regulation, mm-hmm. uh, what's going on on that date that matters for not just Cloud but a bunch of other companies as well? Uh, so the European Union is introducing something called GDPR, the uh, General Directive on Privacy? Personal or, records or something like yeah, that. Yeah, GDPR. And that's something we should have looked up before the show started. I did not think to. I've just been saying GDPR for so long now. Anyways. Yeah, I, no one really knows what it stands for. What it stands <laughs> for is if you don't have your data protections right, you are not going to play in the EU. Which is a big critical market in the world, huge chunk of global GDP, huge chunk of the global internet user base. So it matters for everybody. Yeah, so Lithium looked at this and said, like, hey, you know, for us to update Clout, which was started in 2008, yes. to comply with GDPR, just not worth it. The other take that I heard about this on Twitter, and I'm not saying that I agree mm-hmm. with this, I'm just merely reporting that someone did say it, was that the fact that they're shutting down on GDPR day means that they were just selling your data. And so I think that a lot of people are viewing this not just as the, oh, it'd be hard to update the product, but more like there may have been some scurvy skullduggery going on. And I don't know if that's the case, but it is a, a, a wee bit suspicious that on the essential that moment in time, that's mm-hmm. when they're letting it go. One other theory. Sure. It, they weren't selling your data or mm-hmm. they were trying to and not succeeding. <sighs> and they didn't want to be the evil, bad company that shut down this, you know, this historic social media product. And so... By shutting it down on May 25th, they got to fool us all into thinking that it was GDPR's fault. Oh, so it's almost like a false flag for it being a different sort of failure. Exactly. Ah, that is so Machiavellian that I hope it's not true. Because if you have enough this time, this is to Silicon think, Valley. Man. That's true. No, no place is more petty and small-minded than <laughs> Silicon Valley. Yes. Um, but and sh- like and like obsessively concerned with their like, Reputation. corporate reputations. Yeah. Taylor Swift did a whole album about this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a big deal. I mean, who knew that Taylor was so plugged into uh, venture capital's uh, politics? Yeah. But here we are. Surprises I, I am, abound in 2018. I, I'm really pleased with how you worked Tay-Tay into this conversation. I, I really do shoot high. Taylor Swift fanboy. Oh. Taylor Swift fanboy, I'm for, telling you. For sure. Who is yeah. not? Um, but, uh, what let's, was Taylor Swift's cloud score? You oh. should have looked that up before we started. I, I should have. I, I, feel like, I feel like I didn't do enough prep on the intricacies of uh, celebrities' cloud scores. But you knew that Bieber was on top, which is impressive. Yeah. No, the, the, the joke was that cloud had... An entire server dedicated to keeping Justin Bieber's cloud score updated. I believe that. Well, he back then he had tens of millions of followers when that was rare. Yeah. Now it's relatively common. But the, the frustration that cloud CEO Joe Fernandez had, and he, re- he relayed this to me once in an interview, was that, you know, should Justin Bieber really have a higher cloud score than Barack Obama, who was president at the time? Are you trying to tell me that cloud's algorithm wasn't exactly representative of reality? Well, no, and like cloud knew this is, is the point. That and, good self-awareness. They stole the product out publicly. Yeah. It's like saying, like, should we have built a car that blows up? You're selling it. I know. Like, you know, it's, it, self-awareness gets you so far, but if you're still doing the thing. Hey, uh, $200 million says that Joe Fernandez is a little smarter than you or me. I do not want to conflate intelligence and money because of my chosen profession. Um, <laughs> so moving along, uh, Google bought something called, and I'm going to quote here, Velostrata. Velostrata. Yes. Now, for people who don't know, uh, which is most people, I would think, what does that company do or what did it do until now? Okay. So the, the two-word buzzword light description is cloud migration. Yes. So the idea is in the olden days, most companies – 
had their own servers. You know, you want to run email, you want to run uh, HR applications, you want to run financial applications. You've got your own servers, and you run those servers in a facility that you own and control. And, uh, you know, anything goes wrong, you are on the hook to have a human being who you employ go over and maintain those servers. This is called on-premises. This is called on-premise. On-prem. On yeah. I mean, all, and keep in mind, like, all compu- virtually all computing used to be on-premise. Which was now, in the cloud era, seems ridiculously expensive and archaic yeah. and hard. But it did employ a lot of IT stuff. Yeah. No, so Amazon came along and really popularized this idea of cloud computing. Yes. Um, Google and Microsoft kind of woke up one day and saw how much money they were making. Now, you know, the thing is, Google and Microsoft, like Amazon, were running a lot of their businesses you know, their apps in the cloud. Like, you access Gmail. That's a cloud that service. Is, that, that's a cloud service. It's not one specific server in Mountain View. It's, <laughs> it's some... It's one it's, server in Mountain View is, that runs very hot. <laughs> it is a flotilla of servers yeah. distributed around the world. Well, the, and, old, the old joke is that if uh, email was invented today, we would just call it cloud mail. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, probably. Um, so, you know, the thing is, Google and Microsoft see how well Amazon is doing. They have the servers already. So all they have to do is kind of tinker with them a little and start renting them out to other companies. And voila, that is commercial cloud computing. Yes. Uh, Google, uh, again, you know, wants to, wants to stay ahead in the cloud race or get ahead, I should yeah, say. They're, yeah, they're currently in third place. Yeah, correct, between it, behind Amazon and Microsoft. Yes. So what Velostrata does is by making it easier for companies to take their computing to the cloud, they're hoping that they'll consider Google as a place to go cloud-wise. Or at least give Google more of a shake. Like, yeah. If, look, Google will help you now even more easily yeah, we get have, your stuff. We have better, cloud. easier tools for migrating, so migrate with us. Exactly. It's kind of the pitch. Uh, we don't know how much Google paid for Velostrata, but we did look it up before, and the company had raised just over $30 million as a private company. Yeah. Now, in Silicon Valley, that can get you very far or not. Um, so it's not clear what the company was worth, but I guess at least some idea that it wasn't a microtransaction. Yes. It was probably at least of some, some heft and weight. Uh, but, you know, Google's so big, they don't have to report that sort of expenditure. Right. There, their, there's their, this idea of, uh, you know, of whether a transaction is material. Yes. And because Google makes so much money, yes. uh, they could, you know, probably acquire a company for hundreds of millions of dollars and it would still not be considered material to their shareholders. This is how a lot of big companies can buy small things and eventually just shut them down and be like, yeah, we tried. Yeah. And they never have to be like, well, we lost $37.2 million on that deal. Yeah. Um, but this falls under the broader rubric that we've talked about a lot on the show of the cloud in general. And what's, what I like about this topic is we talk so much about the cloud as a fact on the show. This is a cloud solution for X. This is a cloud company doing Y. Here we're actually looking backwards in time to companies that are still stuck in the on-prem era. They still think it's 97. Right. They still think that Al Gore has a shot. Um, and uh, they need to kind of be brought into the modern world. And I wonder what percentage of companies that still is. Because I feel like here in San Francisco, well, we're so biased towards the future. Well, yeah, because because we have so many startups, we have so many tech companies that are either starting fresh yes. or want to embrace the latest, greatest thing so they understand it. But you know, but the thing is, most of corporate America, they're trying to keep their, their technology spending down. Yes. If they have something in place that's working, they don't want to rip it out and replace it just to, you know, just to have the shiny new thing. So corporate America, by and large, has been embracing cloud slowly, tentatively, moving, moving to it piece by piece where they feel it makes sense. So despite the cloud hype here in Silicon Valley, 
most of the world is still in in an on premise environment. Yeah. I would I would hazard to guess. I would think so too. But I'm curious if the pace of cloudization. Cloudinization. Which is not a word. It's a new word. It's coined today. Uh, it'll be in the Chronicle tomorrow. Yes, um, cloudinization. I wonder how much the pace of that is accelerating. Like, for example, if we picked up 1% of global business five years ago to the cloud each year, mm-hmm. are we now picking up 1.5%, 2%, whatever it is? Yeah. Uh, and then at what point does it kind of reach the over 50% mark? And therefore, we can say that people that haven't made that transition are now officially behind. Right. And that's what I'm curious and, about. And, you know, we don't, you know, we don't have those numbers at hand. But what I can tell you is the market really prices growth. And so that investing into that transition from on-premise to cloud is what has... Um, what has investors excited? It's that Very fast so. growth. Yeah. I mean, and, and just keep in mind how something can feel like a fact, but still be mm-hmm. a, a small percentage. Yeah. E-commerce is like 10% of U.S. commerce. Right. It's not 45% or whatever you, it is in your household. But because it's shifting over so fast, yes. people are, you know. But there's a lot of commerce to move online. There's a lot yeah. of on-prem to move to the cloud. Um, yes. But um, leaving the world of reasonable technology and progress and trends that make sense and that we can fully grok there's something called not Zappo. It's pronounced Zappo. We think that has to do with Bitcoin. <laughs> but it, why are we talking about this this week? Tell it's me. Zappo with an X. Yes. X A P O. Yes. I don't think I did those gestures right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's in reverse. X-A-P-O. I think on the P O. If you're on okay. the podcast, we're, we also Facebook Live this, and we're trying to show how to draw in real time. It's not working that well. Anyways, yeah. Zappo deals with um, Bitcoin. And yeah, they're, they're a Bitcoin wallet. And, you know, a, a Bitcoin wallet is a way to store your Bitcoin. You always hear about, you know, this, this, these tragic tales of woe of someone <laughs> who lost their Bitcoin. Yes. And they're very, very sad because they bought it in 2012 or so and forgot about it. And now it's worth $100,000 and they don't know where it is or how to get it. Yes. Well, you know, the answer with you know, the answer is for a lot of consumers is just a Bitcoin wallet, which means it's usually something in the cloud, mm-hmm. uh, meaning online, um, and it's kept securely. Now, the interesting pitch Zappo has is that they actually store their data underground. Yes, and this pitch in uh, a subterranean lair. It's a bit like a Bond villain, but more dorky. Now, the company just raised $40 million, which is why mm-hmm. we're talking about today. If it's our funding round category. In, in Bitcoin or U.S. dollars? I believe in USD. Well, uh, that's kind of cheating, right? If, if they accept fiat currency for their funding. I don't think... Shouldn't they be doing an initial coin offering, Alex? Owen, you're, those are religious questions to the crypto community, and I do not take part in theocratic disputes. Yes. So well, I think we can, we, can, we can leave that to the... I, I, I just want to point out that there's a, there's a lot of enthusiasm in yes. Silicon Valley for cryptocurrency, but a lot of companies are still going the same old U.S. dollar venture capital route to fund their investments in cryptocurrency. Which is interesting. I'm just pointing it out. Enthusiasm is a polite way of saying deranged ardor, but we'll take it. Mania? Um, mania is a tulip mania, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but what matters here is Zappo is designed to store big amounts of Bitcoin. The, mm-hmm. the headlines that ricocheted around the internet were like, you know, Zappo that stores $10 billion in Bitcoin underground for rich people. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not perhaps the most consumer-friendly solution, maybe. But it's designed maybe for these larger accounts, um, which are critical because yeah. as possibly larger more established money gets into crypto, which may or may not mm-hmm. happen, they will need tooling to um, help them manage that asset volume correctly. And to that end, um, 
Coinbase recently announced a bunch of uh, enterprise-grade tools for large accounts and so forth uh, as well. So this appears to be a trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the early days, it was like, you know, this cupcake stand accepts Bitcoin. Yay. Yeah. And now it's well, more like, okay, institutional money is coming in. Well, to that point, Zappo actually had a debit card mm. that you could use to spend your Bitcoin in the real world. And I'm not talking about a, you know, a business that accepts Bitcoin. I'm talking about Visa MasterCard. Which is brilliant. But they ran into trouble last fall. They had to limit it to European customers only. And then their banking partner like cut them off altogether in January and they had to get out of the debit card market. But what I think you're seeing is that Bitcoin as a consumer point of sale phenomenon is not really happening. But in trading, speculation, um, kind of large, you know, large scale hedges against, you know, possible market disruptions. That's where Bitcoin is is attracting interest. You know, but the, so I know this is a little bit off topic, but the idea of Bitcoin as a hedge against global instability makes no sense because Bitcoin itself depends on the world having functional internet and widely available power. And like, it's, it's not good in the zombie apocalypse because you're going to be like, I've got my crypto wallet. It's on this USB stick and you're going to get an arrow through the heart. Like no one cares. Yeah. Gold may have some value. I'm not a gold bug either, just to be very clear. But the whole like, you know, if the government falls apart, you'll have Bitcoin. If I don't have internet, Bitcoin's nothing. Yeah. Right. There's like, the, you can't mine. I, you can't have consensus. You can't have a blockchain. You know, it's kind of yeah. I, I guess the scenario is that it's one where you know where like sovereign governments fall, but the internet is fine somehow. That's not how the world's gonna work. Yeah, it barely works. It doesn't no, none of that makes any sense. But the point is, if you do want to store a billion dollars in Bitcoin underground, Zappo has your back with an X. With an X. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Read more startups coverage at sfchronicle.com. And crunchbase.news. I'm Owen Thomas. And I'm Alex Wilhelm. And this is Startups of the Week. You've been listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our executive producer is Fernando Diaz. Our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. And our producers are Peter Hartlob, Brittany Schell, and Claire Varelos. The music you just heard is Botfest by Alex Vaughn. If you like what you heard, good news, there's more. Listen to Chronicle Podcasts and get bonus content at sfchronicle.com slash podcast or subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or other streaming services.